Well, good morning. Welcome again to Life Center North. Glad that you are here today. I am really excited because, uh, as you can tell, we're starting a new series today in the book of Ephesians. Um, and it is going to be tremendous. Ephesians is six chapters long, so as a, as a, it's not a tremendously long, but it is packed full of some really, really great stuff. And I want to give you a little tip on maybe how you can get the most out of this series uh, that you possibly can, because uh, that's what we want. So ready? Here you go. You are allowed to read the book of Ephesians in your Bible on your own time during the week. In fact, I'll even authorize you today. You can even read ahead and jump ahead and see what's coming. And I believe that if you'll do that, you'll begin to see that what God wants to speak to you out of his word, and particularly in the book of Ephesians, it won't necessarily come from stuff that's being said from up here on the platform. It'll come from things that the Holy Spirit is sharing with you in your heart as you do. So I want to encourage you to make that a part of your practice here and maybe your own Bible reading and devotional life during the weeks that we spend here in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church that was gathered in the big city of Ephesus. And Paul was in jail. He was uh, kind of going to be in jail until he was executed. And he writes this letter to this church that he had planted um, all that time ago. And Ephesus was a, was a pretty big city. It was like 300, 350,000 people, which is, a, which is a whole lot then. And it was a kind of a cultural center they had built this a huge temple to one of the gods that was considered one of the, uh, I guess, one of the wonders of the ancient world that way. And so it was kind of a destination place. It was, it was a, big, kind of a big deal. Was, I mean, they didn't have like Bloomsday or Hoopfest or anything like that. But in their day, they were pretty cool. And the people in Ephesus, um, you may wonder, what were they like? Well, in many ways, they were like you and they were like me. And particularly the people that Paul was writing to, the believers, they wondered things like, God, things aren't great in my, in my marriage. What, how, what do you have to say about that? And what can I do about that? Maybe some of them had some financial problems. Maybe some of them had a boss that they couldn't get along with. I'm sure some of them had kids that um, they, they just weren't doing well and they were struggling and they were kind of out of control. Maybe they couldn't get along with their neighbors. Whatever it may have been. But these were people who in their world had difficulties and problems just like you and I have in our world. And Paul, out of care and out of concern for them, wants to address these kinds of issues and say, God has something to say about the things you're going through. God has something to say about the way you live your life day in and day out that way. But Paul understood something else, and it shaped the whole way that he organized this letter. Because while he's going to get around to talking about the way that these people can live their lives and the things that God wants to do for them in the particular circumstances of their life, Paul realized it was a little bit premature to just jump straight to how they were going to live. Paul understood that for followers of Jesus, how you live has to flow out of who you are. And who you are is the direct result of stuff that God has already done in Jesus Christ. Paul understood that when Jesus died on the cross and that when God raised him from the dead, those things that he did changed who the followers of Jesus would be on the inside. And that over time, then that would play out in the way that they lived their lives. And so Paul organizes his letter. He's going to spend the first part of his letter, it's going to be very theological. A lot of ideas, a lot about stuff that God has already done and what it means and how it changes our identity. And then in the second half of his letter, he's going to one by one start ticking off those just very practical applications of how it is 
that Christians can live their lives in view of who God's made them to be and uh, who he is and what he's done that way. And so that is what he's going to do. So as far as Paul is concerned, and as far as we're concerned this morning, we're going to start with this first chapter, which is really strong in its statement of the very things that God has already done in the person uh, of Jesus Christ. And if you have your Bible with you this morning, you're going to want to get it out. And you're going to want to follow along here in just a moment. So if you've got one of those old school Bibles with the pages and stuff, you can break that out. That's pretty cool. If you've got one of those Bibles that's on a phone or a mobile device of some kind, we want you to get that out and go to Ephesians chapter 1. We promise you that none of the people with the paper Bibles are going to look and scowl at you and think that you're taking text messages, unless you are. And then they'll know. And the reason that I want you to follow along is the, the passage we're going to read, kind of verses 3 to 14 in chapter 1, it's a difficult passage. I mean, it's full of some big ideas. It's full of some big words. And it actually contains several of the longest run-on sentences in the Bible. So if you're like one of those English teacher types who really gets excited about good grammar and well-constructed sentences, you're going to bail out early because Paul's a wreck in this particular passage. In fact, I'm convinced that when we get to heaven, there's going to be a little old lady wandering around apologizing to everyone. She's going to say, I was Paul's fourth grade teacher, and I'm sorry. I can't tell you how many times I told him, Paul, one idea, one sentence, but he wouldn't go with it. So he just keeps layering these ideas after ideas. That's how it's going to be. So if you can follow along, that's going to help. But even if you don't have a Bible right in front of you, that's okay. What I want you to listen for in this passage is this. Listen for the list of things that God has already done for you. Listen for the things that have already been taken care of because of what Jesus did. Because those are the things that shape who we are, right? And that's what's going to shape how we live moving forward. So here we go. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy, to be holy and blameless in his sight. And in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one that he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Okay, take a breath. We're most of the way through. We can relax. You're hanging with me. If the person next to you is asleep at this point, nudge him, wake him up. Paul's still going. In him, we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked, with, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. 
That's a lot of words. That's a lot of ideas. There's a lot going on there. Uh, and it's very powerful stuff. I want to spend the rest of our time this morning uh, just dissecting a little bit of that and getting in better and better touch with all the things that God has already done so that we can look at them and enjoy. And Paul begins this whole process by kind of saying, helping us to recognize that God has blessed us. And I want you to know that God has blessed you whether you necessarily recognize that or not. You see, we all have the temptation when our life is going great and things are going well, we go, oh, I am so blessed. And then when, uh, when we get sick, when the job goes away, when there's not enough money to pay the rent, whatever it is, when times are hard, when relationships are broken, we don't feel blessed anymore. And what Paul would say to us is, no, he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing that's in Christ, he has blessed you with already. And that's true whether your life looks great or whether it looks really hard right now. We understand that even in the process of difficult times, God is there blessing us in the person of Jesus Christ. And then in the next couple of verses then, Paul is actually going to outline some of these specific blessings that he offers us. And the first is this. It says he chose you. Do you realize that you have been chosen by God and that that took place before creation ever happened? Now, I, I suspect that in this room we have some people who believe in kind of a, a young earth and a literal six-day creation out of the book of Genesis. And I believe that we have others in the room who out of the book of Genesis uh, understand that to be God working through the scientific process of a big bang that eventually became the universe that we know. What I want to highlight here is not a particular view of the creation narrative. I want you to know this, that before creation ever happened, whether it was big bang or six literal days, before any of that, God knew you were going to be the result of his creative process. He knew that when he began the creation of the earth, that it would play itself forward in human history and that one day you would exist. And back then, before it took place, he chose you by name, knowing your strengths and your weaknesses, knowing the places where you are awesome and the places where you are less awesome. He said, I want you. I want you to be with me. I want you to be on my team. I choose you. And that that took place, Paul says, before the creation ever happened. You are that significant to God. He chose you. In addition to that, and it goes right along with it as well, another of the blessings that he gives us is that he predestined you. That as far back as the beginnings of creation, there was a destiny that he had in store for you. That it involved your salvation, it involved you coming to faith in Jesus Christ, it involves the purpose that he has for you moving forward. But he set in motion the, the machinery of destiny to see that that took place for you. And this is a place where a lot of times there's a lot of decision about how our salvation comes, up, comes about, right? Because sometimes we talk about salvation and go, how, how did I get saved? Well, I remember I was there. I made a decision in my mind to follow Jesus. And I prayed, prayed a prayer that I really believed in my heart. I did some things. I came to the conclusion that this was the path God had for me. And I selected Christ over a whole host of alternatives that were out there. I chose to follow Jesus. And in other places, we see what Paul seems to be writing here. He says, well, actually, no, I predestined you. That, that decision wasn't yours as much as you think it was. it was. It was really me calling you the whole time. 
And then sometimes we go, what? Wait a minute. It really felt like I was there. It really felt, felt like I was making a decision that way, right? I mean, our general human nature tends to be self-centered. We can't help it. You look around and the universe extends infinitely in all directions from right here, so I must be the center of it. And, and therefore, I must be the most important. In the book of Acts, you know, Peter gave this great sermon, and the people who heard it were moved. And what did they say? What must we do to be saved? And Peter gave them an answer that way. And, our, and in our own experience, which is, like, by definition, it includes what we have done. And so uh, quite often we feel like we were the ones who effected our own salvation by choosing, by praying, by confessing, and by believing. And then here Paul comes along and says, well, no, there's another factor here that has to do with it's, it's God doing the work and predestining that. A couple years ago, there was a uh, commercial during Super Bowl. I think it was in 2011. Uh, it's kind of fun to watch, and I think it helps illustrate how our perspective on what's actually taking place when we come to faith works out. Let's, let's give this a quick look here. I love that. In, in addition to being very fun, I, I think it illustrates the way a lot of people that I talk to feel about their coming to faith in Jesus Christ. I was out there, I was living my life, and I was, I was trying, I was trying to figure it out, and so I, I tried being a really good person, and it didn't seem to work. And so I tried this other set of beliefs, and I couldn't get them to work, and it didn't affect any change. And I tried this other way of going about it because my friends tried it, and that didn't work. And then one day some people told me about Jesus and I prayed a prayer and I believed and then everything changed and, and everything was new and the engine of my spirit was finally running and look what I did by making that decision. And, and that's our experience and so it feels like that's going, like, the, like that's the only thing that's really happening. But in point of fact, behind the scenes, there, there's a power that we don't understand. There's a power that's invisible to us, a power that we never could have seen saying, I'm really the one who's going to make that happen. I'm the one who's going to ignite in your spirit something new and fresh. I'm going to make your spirit alive. And while it feels to you like you're the one choosing Jesus, I'm really the one making your spirit alive in ways that maybe you will never know or be able to perceive. Interestingly enough, by the way, that's not just an image of how we come to faith. It's also a pretty helpful image for what it's like to live life moving on after we've become followers of Jesus. Because just like many of us tried in our efforts to figure out life and salvation and faith and everything, a lot of times even as Christians, we want to please God and we're just going to try really hard to do something and get it done and I'm going to try and be a really good person. I'm going to 
try and get out of that addiction and I'm going to try and get out of debt. And, and it seems powerless until we're actually brought into contact with the power of the, the living God and we allow him to do the work. Not because of all of our efforts, but because he loves us and because out of his grace for us, he makes something happen that we could never do on our own, right? And so that's why we have things like, uh, like Rooted, because we want to do whatever it takes to grow and to get connected to God and to others and to our future and his purposes, right? We want that and we want to try, but there are some things that we can do that really connect with what it is that God wants to do in his power, and Rooted is one of them. It's why we have programs and classes like Financial Peace University for those who want, for those who want to try really hard to figure out how their finances are, rela are related to their faith, to try to figure out how they can get out of debt and become um, more generous givers and be blessed by God in that area, right? Um, but it's not really about human effort. It's about connecting with the power of God that stands behind all of that. That's why we do the various things that we do, not because all the human effort accomplishes much, but because by doing so, we get in touch with the God whose power we may not fully understand, but who, well, whose power we absolutely need in that way. So yeah, he has blessed us entirely. He chose us. He predestined us. And then it says he adopted us. He adopted you into his family, Paul says. And I love that idea that he had adopted us in um, because we become part of God's family. But I, wanna, I do want to mention this where adoption into God's family is concerned. Um, a lot of us understand that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we become part of God's family, his beloved sons and daughters. But I talk to a lot of believers who labor under the fear that, yes, God has adopted me in, but if I don't perform at a high enough level, he's just going to kick me back out. If I don't measure up to what it means to be a member of God's family, he's going to kick me out of the family, and then I won't have that eternal inheritance. And it's interesting to me, Paul writes about adoption, and he's writing from kind of within the Roman culture there, and here's how, here's how adoption worked in the Roman culture. If you had natural-born children of your own, you could choose to include them in your will and leave them a part of your estate if you wanted to. And if you didn't want to, you didn't have to. You could cut them out for any reason that you wanted. Parents, I see going, yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. That'll shape them right up. But this was the interesting thing about adoption. If, if, as a Roman citizen, you formally adopted somebody into your family, you no longer had the right at any point along the way to write them out of the inheritance. To adopt somebody into the family from the outside, the moment that that adoption became formal and legal, it was permanent. And no matter, no matter what else happened moving forward, they were entitled to their portion of the family inheritance and the family estate. You couldn't write them out from that if you wanted to. Isn't that interesting? That's the picture Paul uses. God has adopted you. He has brought you into his family. And there will probably be times when you are living life that is exactly the life that God wants you to lead. And there are other times where maybe not so much, where maybe it's a season of struggle, where maybe you're just you're having a hard time uh, living life not just the way God wants you to, but even living life the way that you want to. And, and for those who have said yes, to the gift of Jesus Christ. To those who are followers of his, I want you to know that adoption into God's family means you cannot be kicked out for bad behavior. God makes you his son. God makes you his daughter. And you continue to be his son and daughter in that way, 
even at the points at which you fail. He will never leave you, forsake you, or give up on you. That's a powerful thing to be adopted in that way. That's one of the ways that we have been blessed. Another way is this, that God has extended his grace to us. That's what Paul talks about. He says extends grace, that the things that we don't deserve, God continues to give us. He, uh, he responds to us not, not in the ways that we deserve, but he responds to us out of his own love for us. And specifically, he gives a couple of pictures of that. The first one that Paul mentions there in Ephesians chapter 1 is this. He says that he redeemed you. He redeemed you. And that's, uh, that's a word that, we probably, that doesn't have the same meaning today nearly as strongly as it did back then. But when Paul spoke of redemption, there was a very clear image that he had in mind. It's, I mean, the adoption is a, is a family picture, right, of what God has done in Jesus Christ. Redemption is a different kind of picture for the same reality. And it's this, redemption is what happened when you were a slave, a servant, that when, when, you were, um, when you had a master that you had to serve and you had no way out of the slavery that you were in. When you were a slave, the only way out was for someone to come and pay for your freedom. And if they would do that, they would say they were redeeming you. They're giving something up, and they're setting you into a life of freedom. There are a lot of ways to become a slave. You could become a slave by being born a slave. You could become a slave by being on the losing side in a battle and and being captured and then uh, being in slavery that way. If you were in horrible financial circumstances, you could sell yourself into slavery to get out of the debt, and your family would be free of debt. You just have to work. But the one thing you couldn't do once you were a slave was to buy your way out. You, you didn't have the wages. You didn't have the financial wherewithal to do that. Once you were a slave, you were a slave pretty much for good unless someone else came in and said, I am willing to pay for you what you are not able to pay in order that you might be free. That process was called redemption. And Paul says that's exactly what God has done for us in the purpose of Jesus Christ, that we were slaves to sin. We were, we were, in sla- we were indebted because of the cost of our sin. We owed a debt on our sin that we could not pay on the one hand, But secondly, sin ruled over us. It mastered us in a way that we could not break free from. And and Christ's work on the cross was the payment that said, here, I am giving in payment my blood so that you may be made a free person again, free from the debt that your sin has incurred and free from the power of sin in your life, that that's what God has done for you in the person of of Jesus Christ. And right alongside that, Paul writes, and he has forgiven you. He has forgiven you. And you know that feeling when you, when you have done something wrong to somebody, when your treatment of them has crossed over relational boundaries, when you've violated the trust in a relationship in a way that has been hurtful. And sometimes it's intentional and other times it's accidental, but you know that what you've done is wrong and hurtful and uh, violates the nature of the relationship you share with someone. And there comes that moment where you have to humble yourself and admit what you've done and ask that terrifying question, will you forgive me? Because there is such vulnerability in that question, right? That moment when we acknowledge that we're the ones in the wrong and we leave the ball in their court to decide, will you or won't you forgive me? I'm not justifying my action. I'm not defending it. I'm not making a case for why you ought to forgive me. I'm just putting myself at your mercy and saying, I was wrong. Please, would you forgive me? And there it hangs, awaiting a response. And that moment when someone we love and care about 
extends forgiveness and says, yes, that did hurt, but I forgive you. That's not going to be between us anymore. I'm not going to hold that against you. You're relationally free from that debt with me. It's all good. You are forgiven. That is so freeing. It is uh, it's so empowering. It makes all the difference, right? Such peace comes as a result of it. And maybe what I love most about this passage is this. Paul says that the forgiveness is part of the riches of his grace that he lavishes upon us. God doesn't dole out little bits and pieces of forgiveness, but he offers generously, bountifully. He lavishes upon us more forgiveness maybe than we even need. He's generous with his forgiveness towards us. That's what God has done in the person of Jesus. He, he blesses us. He extends grace to us. And then this, he calls you his own. I mean, again, we feel like we've said, oh, yes, I'm going to identify myself with Jesus. I'm going to make a decision. But Paul says, no, he actually, he calls you his own. He says, and one of the ways that he lets you know that you belong to him is that he makes his will known to you. He reveals himself to you. He lets you know what he is up to in your life. You ever had those moments where life's kind of going crazy and it's hectic and it's out of control and you can't figure it out and you go, God, I cannot for the life of me figure out what you are up to in this. Why are you allowing this to happen? Why have you allowed this to last so long? Why won't this change? God, what are you doing here? And Paul writes that he will reveal his will to you. And it's interesting, it's pretty clear a lot of times what God is doing, even in the difficult circumstances of our life, is that God's work in our life, it's sometimes about the circumstances on the outside, but most often it's about the character on the inside, right? Not so much about our, our level of comfort as much as our level of character. Not so much the, the level of our happiness, but the level of our pursuit of holiness that way. And so what God does is he takes the circumstances of our life, good ones, medium ones, horrible ones, and he says, let's develop some character. Let's develop some holiness in there. You know, you know how we know that this is true? Because God has revealed it to us. Paul wrote to the Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit, by which he meant this. He says that as followers of Christ, the, the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence within us. He dwells within us, and over time, that's going to produce something, Right? In the same way that if you plant a lemon tree in the ground and you fertilize it and you water it, eventually that's going to produce something. It's going to produce a particular kind of something. It's going to produce lemons, right? Well, Paul's image is this, that if the Spirit of God dwells within us and we continue to feed and nourish that with prayer and the study of God's Word and fellowship with the Spirit of God in us, it's going to produce a particular kind of fruit in us. And he describes that fruit not as the fruit of a really simple, easy life that's very easy to live, but he says the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of these things which are character on the inside, not circumstances on the outside. And so he lets us know what he's doing in us, which is great because in the day-to-day, -day, right here and now when it's hard, we need to be on the lookout for how God is doing the things inside us, not just begging and pleading with him to do stuff on the outside. He, he reveals himself to us and he includes us. He includes us, Paul says. He calls us into his inner circle. You know that feeling when you're not in the inner circle? Like whether that's at school or whether that's at work or wherever it is in the neighborhood, and you feel like there's a group of people who are tight and I'm not in it. That was like every day of middle school for me felt like that completely. 
and that feeling that, that I'm excluded because I'm not part of the group. And, and God says, no, you are included. In fact, he says, come to me. Come be with me, and I will give you rest. And I will exchange your heavy burden for one that's light and one that is manageable. Come to me, receive rest, and receive peace. Paul goes on in addition, he says, and the, the next thing that God has done in Christ is this, is that he sealed you. He has sealed you. He has put his mark upon you. If you take the, the old image of uh, what Paul's talking about here is, you know, like a letter that was sent and the, the letter is put in the envelope, the envelope's folded over, melt some candle wax over, the, over it, and you put the signet ring on there that makes a mark in the wax, and that's the seal. And that seal tells you that whatever is on the inside of this envelope comes from this person. And that unless you bear this person's authority, unless you bear this person's permission, you've got no business here, right? So God places a deposit of the Holy Spirit within us when we become Christians, and then he places his seal of ownership upon it and says that what lives in this individual has my mark of authority and my mark of power. That this person with the whole, who has the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, this person belongs to me. If you don't love that image of a signet ring in the wax, because um, that's, that's the nice image, here's one that, that I, I hesitate to use a little bit, and you'll know why. It's, if you go back to the cowboys' days out on the, on the prairie and the ranch, and you got cattle, and you brand them on the butt with the mark for your ranch, I was just a little hesitant about calling you all a bunch of cattle and stuff, but you understand that once a cattle is branded with that mark, right, then that cattle is instantly identified to one and all as irretrievably belonging to that particular ranch. When, when God places his seal upon us, it's like placing his mark upon us so that anyone who looks at us and the life that we're living in and the way that we go about the things that we do looks and says, there's something about that person that is marked. There's a distinct mark and feature set to their life which identifies them as belonging to me and not to anybody else. And God has done that in the person of Jesus Christ. These are powerful, powerful things that God has done. And we will get to the point where we talk about, how do I deal with a marriage that's hard? How do I deal with kids that, that uh, I'm, I'm struggling with? How do I deal with relational things where I'm not getting along? We will get to those. But those things have to flow out of who we have become. And who we have become has to flow out of all these things that God has already done. Right? Let me ask you about who you are. Do you find your identity in what you're able to accomplish and do well? Or are you willing to step away from that and say, I'm willing to take on my identity and simply let it be the result of what Christ has already done? To do that is to take a conscious step away from all the doing and just spend some time becoming something that's the result of what God has already done. And so I want to encourage you to try that this week. Maybe to take some of that time reading back through this section in Ephesians 1 allowing God to speak into the very distinct places of your heart and life and experience and, and touch on those places where what he has already done is shaping who you are. And then after that, we can move on to the issues of what should I do about it. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me here at the beginning of our journey through the book of Ephesians. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your Son. It's true that in him we are truly blessed. And, and in him, you have extended grace to us beyond our capacity to fully appreciate. God, because of what Jesus has already done, 
we get to walk in a relationship with you that was impossible without him. And God, I want to pray for us as a congregation this morning, kind of at the beginning of this journey through this particular letter. God, would you awaken within us a fresh appreciation for all the things that you have done, for how deep a gift even our salvation is. God, for the power that flows through what Christ did on the cross. God, would you awaken within our spirit an appreciation for that, a joy for that, an excitement about that. And God, over the weeks that come, would you begin to transform who we are and in doing that, continue to transform the life we're living into something that pleases you deeply. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks, Pastor Scott. Do you feel blessed with every spiritual blessing? Can I just encourage you to take up Pastor Scott's um, challenge this week to dive into the book of of Ephesians? I can't say that. The book of Ephesians. When you start to feel like the force is not with you, okay? Dive in, because when we're in God's words, that's when we discover the Holy Spirit power that we need to be able to remind us that we belong to Christ and we can choose to follow him out of that Holy Spirit power and guidance. So have a great week. We'll see you next week.